1: I got to tell you, right now with the way the World Series is set up and also with the fact like Steph Curry went out and hit 11 threes and scored over 50 points last night. LeBron James is playing on the West Coast right now. I feel like for the next several months that I'm not alone in being on the East Coast, that the West Coast is where all the news is being made in the world of sports. And people talk a lot about there being an East Coast bias. And I kind of laugh at that. You know what East Coast bias is? It's bias in favor of sleep. A lot of people are huge sports fans on the East Coast. Can't stay up. Can't stay up late into the night to watch all these games. And I think about it with my kids. Last night, I've got uh, a lot of times late at night, I've got the three young boys, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 4-year-old. And a lot of times they get into bed with me and sometimes they fall asleep with me watching games happened last night my 10-year-old says let's watch you know we want to watch the Dodgers and we want to watch the Red Sox he's out in the fourth inning just out you know it's 9 15 whatever time it is here 10 15 on the east coast young kid he's just out you know he's trying to stay up and watch it I think that there are a lot of people that would otherwise be watching sports that are tapping out because the things are just on too late I'll give you an example LeBron James against the Suns last night starts, I believe I'm correct on this, at 10.30 Eastern. 10.30. Even if you have a really great constitution that doesn't require that much sleep, that game's not going to end on the East Coast until 1 a.m. Most people with families, most people with jobs, most people with kids, you are getting up around 7 at the latest. A lot of you get up a lot earlier than that. It's impossible to watch the Lakers and LeBron. It's impossible to watch Steph Curry and the Warriors. And in the NBA's case, I feel like it was balanced at least when LeBron was on the East Coast because you might not be able to watch Steph and the Warriors play, but at least you would get to watch LeBron. Now the entire NBA has shifted to the West Coast. I would go with the central time zone for the entire East Coast, and I would go with the mountain time zone for the entire rest of the country. And then all day, we're only one hour different. Tell me why that isn't genius. I don't understand. Obviously, I have lots of crazy ideas. But tell me why having one hour to separate the entire country wouldn't be phenomenal. Because then you could start the games, oftentimes, at 6 Eastern time, right? And you could start the West Coast games at 9 Eastern time. And everybody would be able to watch everything. Tell me that I'm not making the world a better place with that idea. Tell me that I shouldn't be national sports czar in charge of making the world a better place so everybody can watch every game. Tons of support rolling in for my two-time zone idea. Let me also say this. I would eliminate the time change. So we would only have two time zones, and we would never change time. So you could decide exactly where the line could be. We could draw it at the Mississippi River if we wanted to. Or if, for instance, Texas would rather be on the East Coast side of the clock, then the state of Texas could decide. You wouldn't have this like sh- splitting states either. The state would decide, do we want to be on the East Coast time zone or do we want to be on the West Coast time zone, but it'll only be one hour different. So this idea, like I live in Tennessee, part of the state is on the Eastern time zone, the other part of the state's on the Central time zone. That's never made sense to me. Every state should all be on the same time zone, so... If there's only one hour difference, it wouldn't be that substantial of an issue and every state would make its decision. Mississippi River is an easy dividing line, but if, for instance, you guys in Texas, you're like, hey, you know what? We'd rather be on the East Coast time, which would actually be the central time zone that you're already on, boom, you do it. Or you shift and you go to the mountain time zone. I think I'm genius. I think I'm a genius for this. I don't know why it's not universally adopted. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. This, as always, is a confident show, especially when we bring in Michigan superfan John Marozzi and they are on a roll. Are you comfortable with the idea that you are the Big Ten favorites now, John Marozzi?
3: Uh Good morning, Clay. I, I am. Michigan has played exceptionally well. They've, uh, they've gotten better since week one, and when you look back and, and put that loss to Notre Dame in context, uh, uh, that was a, uh, obviously a very good opponent on the road, and, and Michigan defensively had one really won a couple bad possessions early in the game, and since then they've been dominant defensively against some really good teams. Uh, including against Michigan State last weekend and Wisconsin the previous one, so uh, Michigan right now should should win the Big Ten. They should uh, now, of course, uh, the, the, the way things look out west, uh, you don't know if it's going to be Iowa maybe uh, winning the, winning the Western Division or, or uh, certainly Wisconsin still could do it. Uh, the, the, that that Big Ten championship game is is going to be one in which the eastern champion is going to be favored without a doubt which which i think makes me a little leery because you never quite know how those games play out. we've seen it many times where where the uh... the underdog wins so uh... really michigan's got to find a way to win uh, against penn state at home and then ohio state on the road and 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 then they're on their way to the big ten championship game for the first time ever they've never played in one which is remarkable to say and they have not reached the rose bowl uh in a decade and they have not won one since the championship in 97 so this is this is truly uncharted territory clay but i think the way they're playing right now uh they they ought to be comfortable with that status how
1: much excitement is there in ann arbor can you feel it living there
3: i can i it, to me clay this is this is the, the most excited that they've been about a season in a long time, I go back. You know, 2011 was a special year because it was it was Hope's first year. There was new optimism. Uh, the it seemed as though the Michigan football family was was unified again. It wasn't looking back maybe that truly uh, talented uh, nationally of a team, but they were able to win the Sugar Bowl, and it meant something at the time. Uh, but I think this team has, has really got a chance. And, of course, uh, a few years ago they had the, the great opportunity and they, they lost out maybe on, the, on, on one bad spot. Of course, that year they'd also lost to Iowa. But it, it just seems like this year they are not giving in in some key moments. They've been able to win some close games. They've been able to win some really convincing games, uh, including against Wisconsin at home, which was, to me, a really big, statement win. I, I think the big thing is, Clay, they're, they're playing – they're playing cleaner games. They're not. They're not making mistakes. Uh, there were still times. You go back to the infamous game against Michigan State a few years ago, uh, which sort of was the, the biggest manifestation of, of Michigan making mistakes. And then uh, a couple years ago, they they were losing the games, including the, the Iowa game. They shouldn't have lost. They they lost that one on the road uh, because I think of of some break some key breakdowns late. They just seem to be really well coached and organized right now and and Don Brown's defense of course has been excellent um and so it, they seem really confident they seem to be unified and 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 they seem to be making plays they're not they're not really thinking as much as they're just playing and i think a big part of that is the way that Jay Patterson plays i think the way not not just your quarterback's talent but the way he carries himself is really important in college football and and Patterson doesn't seem to me to be someone that 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 Thinks too much. I think he's just very, very confident in his ability. He can make plays. He can make plays with his legs, which Michigan hasn't had it really since Denard. Uh, and I, I think Patterson's overall game is just really, really, really impressive. Uh, he he all the way around one of the more impressive players they've had in a long time. So this is this has the look of a of a top five team, and uh, we'll, we'll see in due time if they're able to beat the Buckeyes in row, which hasn't happened since I believe the early i want to say like 2003 or 2004 i mean it just it hasn't happened in a while so uh, it's it's been a long time coming for a, for a win in columbus and, and this is now probably what the season is going to come down to
1: we're talking to john Morosi. he's not just a michigan football expert he is expert. expertise uh, extends to the nhl and certainly to major league baseball which is the reason he's on right now so let me go directly into the world series are the dodgers done straightforward simple question
3: done they've got Walker Buehler starting game 3 and, and he has been probably in these playoffs their most dominant starter uh so he if you're if you're a Dodger fan looking for hope you've got a change of venue you've got Buehler on the mound uh you've got a right-handed starter for for Boston which means that you'll have Bellinger's bat back in the lineup uh which uh, i realize is something of a self-created problem by the Dodgers to uh to be reconfiguring the lineup uh so profoundly, I think, Clay. This is where, at the end of the day, you've got the NLCS MVP and, and, and Cody Bellinger, who's played so well in the playoffs, and then because you're facing two lefties, he has not started the game uh, yet in this series. That that just, to me, that that's probably the one case where you say, you know what, there may be a little bit of a little bit of over managing here. Let's let's not outsmart ourselves too much. There has to be some element. I think, especially in the World Series. And and I, I totally get that the Dodgers always have been using analytics, and 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 on some level you've got to be the team now that you've always been, but you also got to let your guys play. And and I think that Alex Cora has let his guys play, and and Dave Roberts for whatever reason, and again maybe maybe there's a lot of information coming in analytically that 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 is driving things in this direction, but it just seems like the Dodgers are not a team right now that's feeling free and playing. And, and, listen, the weather's part of it, Clay. I mean, you think about the Dodgers playing on the road in the World Series in a difficult ballpark from the standpoint of the dimensions, which were certainly a big effect of, uh, you know, in game one with the ground rule double and, and uh, the, the, the play David Freese could not make. Fenway, when it's cold, can be a very disorienting place if you're not used to it. And I think that's been the case with the Dodgers through two games. And you see the Red Sox, you saw Ben Intendi making a glorious catch in left field yesterday. Um, they know their environment there. They know what they're doing there. And I think the Dodgers have not. And uh, the, the absence of Bellinger for me from the lineup has been one bit of self created adversity. But the Dodgers, uh, at least, they'll, they'll have a chance to correct it here in game three.
1: You mentioned the analytics decision. Uh, we had Nick Swisher on our Lock It In show. And he said something interesting, which probably drives analytics people crazy. But he said, when you get to the postseason, he said, I understand the purpose of analytics for you know 162 games because you have so many different possible outcomes and there's such a large data set. But he said, when you get to the postseason, every little at bat matters so much that sometimes going with analytics can feel like the wrong decision, even if it is over the course of 200 games what you should do how do you balance that do you believe there's any uh, any truth to it and obviously your Bellinger commentary on some level is predicated on that right like they may think over 200 games Cody Bellinger against left-handed starters doesn't make sense but based on what they just saw how hot he was in the NLCS And obviously, the results were not good in the first two games. I think there's a lot of Dodger fans listening to us right now saying, "Put the dude in the game and see what he can do."
3: Right, and and that's that's precisely what what I'm talking about. I I don't have as uh, you know, I know some Dodger fans, and and it's been a big topic around the game. Uh, They go back to the to the game one decision of of pulling Baez and putting in Alex Wood, uh, and and, which of course led to the Nunez home run. Uh, I don't actually have that much of a problem with that decision, especially because the pitch. That wood threw was was uh, was a, like truly a back foot slider that was located well. It was down and in. It was it was looked like it was going to hit him in the shin and it hit the ball out of the ballpark. So I, I don't have a real problem with that. But I, I think in general, let, let, let's look at the thirty thousand foot view of this. Not that you have to really think about everybody's feelings necessarily as being your, your first and foremost concern, um, but. You got to have a feel for for what certain decisions mean, and Cody Bellinger just won the NLCS MVP, Fenway Park, his first ever World Series game, and he's not in the lineup, and he's one of your core players. You hope for the next five years and maybe even longer if you sign him long term. What are you doing? That to me is is a is a bad tone to set, and and part of it is. Bellinger, you know, if if the Dodgers don't win the World Series, you've got a guy who who won the NLCS against MVP and yet he's gonna enter the end of the offseason wondering how his team feels about him. That that shouldn't happen. And I think moreover, when when you do that, it also gives a certain I, I believe level of of I don't want to say panic but but questioning among the rest of the of the lineup. Uh, the players, I always say this, Clay, players are really smart. They are. And and you've got two managers who were very smart players that are involved in this series. And and when decisions start getting made to an excessive extent, and I'm not really blaming Dave Roberts for this. It's just sort of the, It's been the philosophy of the Dodgers. But when, when a lot of decisions get made that, that raise an eyebrow, the players talk about it at the batting cage. They talk about it at dinner. They talk about it when they're chilling out at the hotel or when they're showing up to the ballpark. And, and those are conversations that you really probably shouldn't be having on Game 1 of the World Series. You should just be thinking about, wow, this is incredible. We're in the World Series. We're going to roll our lineup out there and see if we're the best team in the world. That's all you've got to think about. And instead, it's, it's, should this guy really be playing here or should he be batting in this spot of the lineup? It, it invites a level of commentary that is, in my judgment, counterproductive. And and I, I think at times the Dodgers have been a, a, a hesitant team in the last couple of days. Now it hasn't been all bad. They had a lead last night. Machado, for all the the he's created, is playing pretty well. It's playing well actually on both sides of the ball. I think it's brought out the best of them in, in some respects. So there are positives there. But it, it just seems like in some big moments they they just haven't had it. And and I and I wonder if if having things a bit more aligned for them over the last couple of days, uh, offensively and from a lineup standpoint, personnel standpoint, would have been a little more productive for
1: them. We're talking to John Morosi live here in the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Uh, One hard part, I think, for people who are young. Like, I think about this from the perspective of my kids. We're watching the World Series last night, and my 10-year-old says... The, do, uh, the, the, the Red Sox used to be bad at baseball, right, Dad? And I said, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a big part of baseball's history and lore is that the Red Sox weren't very good. There are a lot of people listening to us right now, John Morosi, who are 20 or younger, maybe driving in with their parents to school. Uh, they are uh, you know on their way to college. They're listening on the podcast, whatever they're doing. In their lives, if you are 20 or younger – the Red Sox are one of the most dominant franchises, if not the most dominant franchise in baseball. Big picture. How stunning is it to you that the Red Sox have gone from this cursed loser to basically the Yankees in the last 15 to 20 years?
3: It, it is remarkable. And, and it's, it's funny how uh, you still will read stories about, about New England fatalism in the context of the Red Sox. And this is not true anymore. Yes. <laughs> what's what's the where where is the fatalism? And for what reason would you still have it? The, the, like the, the notion that oh, you're you're just waiting for the for the next bad thing to happen. No, you're not. That hasn't been the case since the early two thousands. And and I think that I go back in this this twenty year span of of Boston sports. And I I'll preface it by saying I was living there in college for the first four years of this of this century so i you're I a, you're a harvard stuff.
1: guy you can tell us where you went to school well
3: that's uh, i i guess uh, i went to school outside boston was yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it outside boston uh or near boston um i i'll say this that in that in that 20 year span every single boston team has won a championship and and i, and I will give the, the patriots a, a degree of credit for this because it, it really they were the team that when they win the the, the back-to-back titles uh, they're early in the, or the, the two consecutive, or the two titles are early in the the, the century, you, you felt the mentality of the city start to change. As crushing as 2003 was for the Red Sox in, in, in the postseason against the Yankees, it, it seemed as though just the way the Patriots played, a team that had, in their own way, not had much of a winning tradition for a long time until the Brady-Belichick era began, of course, they'd had the, the one Super Bowl appearance with, with Bledsoe. But you felt the expectations of the town start to change. And now you're at a spot where uh, I think it was Jeff Fletcher who uh, tweeted, uh, he's a writer for the Orange County Register. He tweeted that his son wanted to right root for the Yankees because, the Yankees were the team that had had the longer drought in the yeah, playoffs relative so to the Red Great. Sox. Which yes. just again, like to, to you, Clay, it makes you and I laugh. Like we're a couple, couple older guys, kind of like that's that's ridiculous. But that's how it is right now. So uh, I, I think that a big part about it has been a um, change in attitude, a change in, in in mentality, and I think it's proven too just as it with, was with the Cubs curse. We could talk about if there was a curse or not. The, the reality is, good players, good players, and players that. Are playing for each other go a long way toward removing curses because then you're no longer thinking about 100 years or 86 years. It's about my buddies and playing with my buddies. And the '04 Red Sox, the, the the Cowboy Up team, had that way about them. The Cubs had that way about them to break the curse in '16. And ever since then, it's been really unique, homegrown, great, competitive players that have done it for the Red Sox in in 4 and then 7, the 07 and 13, and then now it's just it's, what's, what's unique about this team. Mookie Betts is one of the best baseball players on the planet, and he plays the game without any fear. Same with Benintendi in left field. Same with Bogarts to a degree. There's, just, there's a lot of confidence there that has made whatever history existed totally null and void. And, and to your point, Clay, it's been pretty remarkable for me to watch it happen over the last uh, 20 years or so of my life.
1: Here's a way to put it into context. If you are uh, 40 years old, which I almost are, let's say you were born in 1979. Let's just use me as an example. If the Red Sox win this World Series, then in the last 40 years, effectively, there will have been five titles for the Yankees and four for the Red Sox. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, and the last Yankee title obviously was 2009, uh, but it is intriguing in that respect to uh, to sit back. All right, let's go forward. Last question for you. Into L.A. The Dodgers absolutely positively have to win at least two to even bring this series back, right? We all know that based on basic math. They probably need to win all three to really have a a realistic chance of winning this series. What happens in L.A.? I
3: think the Dodgers find a way to win two out of three and at least enforce it back to Boston. I think Game three, to me, has Dodger victory written all over it. Uh, and this is a a case where you're coming back home, the weather's going to be back in your favor. Uh, You've got Bueller on the mound. You've got your best pitcher. Change of venue, change of mentality. Everything says Dodger win in game three, and I think they will. Uh, This is a team that that they've been resilient. They were down against the Brewers uh, in, in in the series early and came back and won that one. Um, they were down in the division race. They were down nine games in, in the early part of May, but this is where this is where we're going to see just how unified they are. And I think sometimes the, the 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 changing nature of the lineup can hurt that and 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 hurt the confidence of players. But this is where we're going to see just how unified they are, how much they're playing for each other. I believe they come back, and Dave Roberts is, is a great manager. He's got great feel for his players. Uh, he has has had it that way over the year. I believe David has the team ready to play, and the Dodgers win Game Three.
1: Outstanding stuff, as always, John Morosi. Uh, enjoy that Michigan season. We'll talk to you next week.
3: Sounds great, Clay. Lots, of, yeah. I think lots of uh, exciting games here to come in, in Ann Arbor, and uh, look forward to talking to you about baseball and football here over the coming weeks.
1: Perfect. That is John Morosi. J O N M O R O S I. Follow him. Thank him for getting up early with us. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at six a.m. Eastern, three a.m. Pacific. It's Animal Thunderdome time. Cue the music, boys.
4: Ladies and gentlemen... I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls... I thought he thought I was, like, this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying time's here. I had a boa constrictor stuck to my face. And hey, you have a what? This
0: is Animal Thunderdome. We go
1: at the beginning of the Animal Thunderdome to the question we're getting asked about the most. What is the update on the man-eating tiger that has killed 14 people in India? We go to Dub for the update. Dub, any news?
5: I check every morning. Every morning I come in the studio in Nashville and I Google about this story, and there's no news of significance to report at this time, so we just have to assume that Nawab Shafat Ali Khan and his team are doing everything they can in India, expending all resources in search for T1 and her two now 11-month-old Tiger Cubs. 11-month-old. You'd have to assume those are pretty much uh, full-grown Tigers at this point, would you not?
1: Yeah, they're getting very close. That's what he said. He said they were the size of uh, when we had Nawab on our show. He said they were the size now of jaguars, so uh, or mountain lions. So I mean, they're getting to be pretty big tigers by themselves when you get to eleven months. There's no doubt. Uh, which that's, means we that's have theoretically. Three. I don't have, want to mess with. Yeah, three man-eating tigers. Uh, all right, I've got a story for you guys off the top. This is a rough break. This is a rough break. If you think you got a rough life, this could be worse. A man has been stoned to death. By a group of rogue monkeys who threw bricks at him from a tree. This is also from India. The man suffered head and chest injuries in the attack and was later pronounced dead in the hospital. This guy, Mr. Singh, was out picking pieces of wood up when the group of monkeys launched their attack on Thursday. It's believed the monkeys had armed themselves with bricks they had collected earlier from a rundown building. Villagers have repeatedly complained aggressive monkeys in the area have made their lives hell, but the animals are a protected species, so little can be done. Uh, Mr. Singh's brother told the uh, Times of India, monkeys threw more than 20 bricks at his brother on Thursday. Thrown from quite a height, the bricks were enough to kill him. These rogue monkeys are the real culprits and must pay for it. Mr. Singh's family has lodged a formal complaint and named monkeys as the accused, but police insist they cannot prosecute monkeys and have declared his death an accident. They want the monkeys prosecuted. That would be one hell of a trial. Can you imagine being in India covering the monkeys uh, on the witness stand there? Uh, Chitwin Singh, a station officer at Doghat Police Station, said, How can we register the case against monkeys? This will make us a laughing stock." Deadly attacks by monkeys have been on the rise throughout the country and wildlife experts say they're usually to blame. Uh, Back in 2007, the deputy mayor died after being attacked by a horde of wild monkeys. Um, This is an unbelievable story. So, in a, uh, this story goes on and on. The city has employed monkey catchers to round them up so they can be moved to the forest. It's unacceptable to kill the monkeys because they are considered godlike by devout Hindus. Uh, they believe the monkey god Hunuman and often feed them bananas and peanuts. Uh, so, uh, rough break. You think you're having a rough day? Could be worse. You could have been just out picking up sticks and you get killed by monkeys.
0: Oh. All right, there's another tiger in the news, Clay. Oh, no. Yes, a rare white tiger mauled a zookeeper to death inside the animal's enclosure in southern Japan last Tuesday. This
1: seems, by the way, to happen all the time. Maybe don't go into the enclosure with the tigers. I mean, I feel like every month we have a tiger mauling a zookeeper to death, and they're always like, the tiger seems so nice. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, wait till you hear the end of this story. So police say that... 40-year-old Akira Furusho was found bleeding from his neck and lying on the floor last Monday evening inside the cage at Hirakawa Zoological Park in, in the southern part of Japan. Zoo officials say that he went inside the cage to clean the enclosure and was attacked while trying to move the male tiger to its night cage. Now, here's the crazy part. This male tiger, by the way, he's Riku. He was sedated with a tranquilizer before first responders and police arrived. But his family say they do not want the tiger to be put down. The zoo says, we plan to not kill Riku and continue to keep it because the bereaved family asked us to do so.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think if, uh, you know, like the tiger's just behaving like a tiger would. Having said that, there's no way I want to go into that tiger enclosure to feed him. Maybe have a trap door at the top where you drop something in. Also, this just hit me. Is this not the greatest way to cover up a murder ever? Can you imagine not – like, if you were wanted to get away with murder, like if all those people in Saudi Arabia who killed that journalist, if instead of doing that and, like, chopping up his body, if they had just claimed that he jumped into a tiger enclosure and they dropped the tiger – they dropped the body in there, would anybody question it?
0: Well, I mean, he is a zookeeper. He was trying to clean the – No, I understand. Yeah. But I'm
1: saying – if you had oh, just a tiger, in general, and yeah, as, a, <laughs> as your alibi, you claim that he got attacked by the tiger, or certainly if you worked at the zoo, like wouldn't this be the greatest so cover up like, of all time?
0: Like if Tony Soprano put yes. somebody in the trunk, took him out, and then dropped him into a tiger yes.
1: enclosure, especially if it was a guy who already worked at the zoo, yeah, then you're never getting convicted of murder. I'm just telling you, if you work at a zoo and you think somebody might want you dead, better watch your back, and not just for the tiger. They might throw you in the tiger enclosure and claim the tiger did it because people like me are going to be like, of course the tiger ate him. Even if the evidence isn't there. Think about it. The greatest crime ever, maybe. Just tossing it out there. Uh, But first, there is more Animal Thunderdome out there.
0: Yeah, Clay, this is another big cat in the news. The Indianapolis Zoo is trying to find out why a lion killed its mate. The zoo in Indianapolis said last Friday that an adult female zuri attacked 10-year-old male Nyack in their outdoor yard before the zoo opened for the day. The zoo says the two had been housed together for eight years. They had three cubs together back in 2015. Nyack was on loan from the San Diego Zoo, so he actually belonged to San Diego. The staff, they heard an unusual amount of roaring from the yard. They tried to separate the two. Zuri, though, held Nyack by the neck until he stopped moving. And uh, a study confirmed that Nyack died of suffocation from injuries to his neck. Daily logs kept by staff previously showed no unusual aggression from the female. We got
1: domestic violence in lions now. That's a rough break.
0: Yeah, and who had to break the news to the San Diego Zoo? Yeah, you know that lion you loaned us? Uh, yeah. This is like a really bad version of Lion King.
1: Instead of the evil lion Scar, spoiler alert, knocking Mufasa off of the uh, off of the, the ledge, we got the mom killing dad. How do they talk to the Cubs about this? hope they got some post traumatic grief counselors to bring in. My first thought is the lion probably had a wondering eye, but he's in a cage. I don't know who he could be cheating with. That's a tough break. Tough break. Tough way to go. Get smothered by your uh, by your uh, your your baby mama at any good look at least she didn't a bob at him um all right so that is the uh end of the animal thunderdome for today as always make sure you stay tuned and dub you are plugged in right there is not going to be a bit of tiger update news that you're going to miss right this is the first thing you do every day when you come in is check on the man-eating tiger hunt in india
5: there is a 0% chance any breaking news will get past me about this tiger in India.
1: I get tweeted about the Indian man-killing tiger all the time. Like, when I scroll through my mentions, people are trying to get updates. So, we may need to I get, I, just... I get,
5: people will call me just to ask about it.
1: Yeah, we may need to just start Tiger Watch every day where we go to you, even if there's no update and you just let us know. Like, we could count down the days, like people who are prisoners, uh, this man-eating tiger is on the loose, uh, and maybe he'll get another victim. Because there's now, like you pointed out, the man-eating tigress uh, and then her also her cubs, which are also man-eaters. So there's actually three of them traveling in concert in India. Can you imagine if they, in America what the reaction would be if there were a tiger loose that had killed 14 people and we couldn't find it? I mean, in all seriousness, can you imagine how crazed this country would be? It would be the number one story on the news every day There would be uh, drones. There would be helicopters. I mean, can you imagine Donald Trump addressing this man-eating tiger being loose in America?
5: It would be maybe the biggest story ever. If there were man-eating bears or something like that.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we had a man-eating bear, that that would also drive people. Any animal that had killed 14 people and was loose would be, like, Nectar to the gods for for cable news ratings. They would leave behind that caravan from Guatemala in a second to cover a man-eating tiger and the pursuit of the man-eating tiger. I can't believe it's not the number one story in India. Maybe it is. I'm not exactly an expert on what the number one stories in India are. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Todd Furman joins us now. You'll be able to see us later on the television show at uh, 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central, 2.30 Mountain, one thirty Pacific. A lot of you tuning in, starting to watch Lock It In, set your DVRs. What did you think about last night's loss by the Dodgers? this series over?
4: You know what, I think this team is in its own head. You look at Dave Roberts trying to mix and match that lineup clay, the pitching changes and everything else. There's just something special about this Red Sox team, and I was skeptical that they were going to be able to find that gear that led them to 108 wins during the regular season, but they clearly have so far this postseason Fenway a house of horrors for the opposition, and if the Dodgers don't win game three, this thing is over. I'm just not sure L.A. can get off the deck, but we'll see. The 2-3-2 format can lend itself to some very interesting results.
1: Do we get a, uh, a downgrade in our pay if the, if the Dodgers get swept? Uh, have you checked your contract to see whether Fox, uh, Fox uh, dings us if they don't get more than four games?
4: You know, I have not, but I mean, I kind of joke going into it that I said the Dodgers-Red Sox World Series gets back a fraction of the money that Fox probably needed from their World Cup contract after Team USA lost to Trinidad. So at least I'd like to see this thing go six or seven games so we have happier executives, especially if you and I aren't picking winners on TV.
1: Well, you're picking more winners than I am. I have now lost, well, if you count the Whitlock loss, Whitlock came in for me last week while I was in London and posted the single worst performance for a week that has been posted by anybody, including putting all of his money on Ball State to win, and they lost by like 30 or whatever the final score was there. Um, When do you think I'll actually win a week?
4: You know what? I mean, you, you have a lead right now. I mean, as we come down, the final 48 hours of shows, obviously a huge weekend of college football and professional football to determine that. I mean, uh, I don't know, Clay. Do you have the intestinal fortitude to power through, actually put together a winning weekend and get off the schneid so you can put the crown on your head for that elusive first time? If it doesn't happen this week, I'm going to set the over-under at one and a half victories for you by the end of 2018.
1: Wow wow that's tough there's no doubt all right LeBron got a win what do you think so he's one in three now the Lakers are sitting at one in three what do you think the over under reasonably should be set for now having seen four games played would you adjust at all what the over under for the Lakers should be
4: I don't think you change your outlook on this team at all to be honest I mean we've seen this before from LeBron James going into a new city trying to integrate a number of uh disparate pieces last night was interesting in the fact clay that public betters have been on the Lakers every single game through their first four. But last night was the first time professional betters were actually on the Lakers as well. That number opened two and a half, Ended up closing five, five and a half in some spots. This is a team that's going to be fighting for positioning in that five through eight seed. I don't think we're going to be talking about them getting home court uh, in the opening round of the playoffs. For me, who is typically bored by the first round of the NBA playoffs, I'd love nothing more than if we got to see the Lakers and the Warriors go at it round one.
1: What, that would be incredible. What do you think about my idea of only having two time zones in the country?
4: I think it's a good idea that you have three hours every day on radio to talk about these ideas rather than boring us during an hour TV show where I have to fight for precious seconds and minutes to have my own airtime. But I will agree with you that I think it's borderline ridiculous Uh, that people on the East Coast don't have a chance to watch some of the West Coast sporting events. And I've always said the best move to watch sports is to move out West. If you can handle getting up early for college football at 9 a.m. and the NFL at 10 a.m. on Sundays, there is nothing better than being able to watch all the day's sporting events, go to bed at a reasonable hour, and at the same time, I've also wondered, as far as the big sporting events, I know we'll talk about it plenty during the NBA playoffs, why the NBA can't mirror Major League Baseball schedule. Start earlier and allow people on the East Coast to watch some of these West Coast teams at a reasonable hour.
1: Yeah, you know, it is interesting because having spent a lot of time on the West Coast, I think the West Coast is the vastly superior coast for a sports fan. Uh, Because like you just said, you can go to bed at a decent hour. You can watch all the action. A lot of times you can even go out to dinner after the games. Like let's say you want to stay up till 10.30 or 11. You can watch Monday Night Football, uh, which ends, what, by like 9 o'clock? You can take your wife out to dinner and you can be home by 10.30.
4: Exactly. It's a nice luxury to have. And I get in this argument all the time with some of my close friends. They actually believe the mountain time zone is best because they get an extra hour for the early games and still have that hour at the back end. Now, college kids betting the NFL and college football, they might not love having to get up early to try and get their action in. But think about what you do on, like, the East Coast when games don't kick off till 1 o'clock on Sunday. You have, like, three or four hours. You're just trying to kill time until football gets going. Sure, you might try and sneak in a brunch, and I know there are folks that go to church and take advantage of that. But in reality, get the games going early in the morning. I actually love these London games that kick off at 6.30. It's the perfect way to get Sundays going and ride that momentum all the way into Sunday Night Football.
1: No, I love it too. I love the early start having been in London for that game. I think it's a no-brainer to start games uh, as early as you can. All right, let's go into the weekend slate. Uh, Let's start in the NFL. What do you like the most right now in the NFL?
4: Uh, For me, it's actually a game between uh, your beloved Carolina Panthers and your dark horse MVP candidate, Cam Newton, uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore had their hands full and then some last week against the Saints. If it wasn't for a missed extra point by Justin Tucker, we could be talking about the Ravens in control of the division, one of the teams to watch in the AFC. I still think that's the same, and this is the week they'll bounce back against a Carolina team whose secondary has some major question marks. They need to run the football to be successful, and those are two things that the Ravens will be able to exploit. I like Baltimore quite a bit. Uh, It's not the best of the number right now, as Carolina opened a one-point favorite and the Ravens' two-point chalk but wouldn't be surprised if ultimately Baltimore closes around a three-point favorite uh, before we get to Sunday's kickoff
1: how do you play Dolphins Texans tonight the, the the Texans sitting right at that uh, interesting line point of seven and a half they haven't really moved off that I don't think very much Brock Osweiler going back it's a big game for both teams the Texans have won four in a row uh, the Miami Dolphins trying to at least stay in the wild card race as they wait for Tannehill to come back uh, what happens
4: yeah, pretty impressive for the Texans to right the ship. I mean, you could have had them at 10-1 to to win the AFC South when they were mired in that losing skid. Now they're slight favorites at a little bit better than even money. So good value had you seen the foresight of this winning streak coming together. When I look at Miami, a short week, Brock Osweiler, I think there's some major concerns with this Dolphins offensive line. And if you can't protect your quarterback, that's not the recipe for success against the Texans. Uh, I look at Miami's ability to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. I think Cameron Wake becomes the X factor on the defensive side. You have to keep Deshaun Watson in the pocket because once he gets to the edge, he's more than capable of making big plays. I hate to lay this kind of lumber with a home team, I just don't have any confidence in Miami's offense being able to keep up. They were exposed a little bit last weekend at home by the Lions. And while there's been professional money actually coming in on the over here, I think the Texans are the team that has to do a Lions share of the scoring to get you there. All right,
1: I think the best game in the NFL slate, to me, is actually going to be on London. you got another week of waking up early and being able to watch this game. And I don't mean because I think they're the two best teams. I mean because I think there's a lot of intrigue surrounding this game. The Jags don't know what's going on with Blake Bortles at the quarterback. The Eagles, a lot of yapping going on internally with them, too. Both these teams are 3-4. and four. One team's going to hit the halfway point and feel like, okay, we weren't great, but we're still alive. The other one's going to be 3-5 and five and feel like they need to almost hit the panic button. What happens in
4: Eagles-Jags? It's one of those things, you go pick your poison. I mean, the Jaguars, for the first time in franchise history, have failed to score in the first half of three straight football games. I mean, Blake Bortles has been an abject disaster. Eight turnovers and only two touchdowns over the last three weeks, ultimately leading to his benching in favor of Cody Kessler. And then when I look at this Jaguars' defense... Second in the league in allowing 4.8 yards per play. Second in the league in total defense. Second in the league, opponents' first downs per game. However, they're 31st in takeaways in this day and age in the NFL when the offense isn't doing its part and you can't create short fields, It's a big problem. You mentioned the Eagles. I have no idea how they blew a two-touchdown lead on the road in your backyard against the Titans or how they blew a 17 nothing lead last weekend against Carolina Defensively, the secondary, again, a question mark there. They're good against the run. Carson Wentz starting to figure it out. But I can tell you, the Jaguars have familiarity with this trip to London, and there's been an appetite for the underdog from professional betters Every time this number gets to 3.5, you're seeing some buyback on Jacksonville. And wouldn't be surprised if the Jags end up winning this game outright as modest modest underdog.
1: We got five games going on uh tonight in college football. It's gonna surprise people, I think. Five of them. Baylor, West Virginia, probably the best of them, although Appalachian State, Georgia Southern, as well as Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. What do you like on the college football slate tonight?
4: Oh, when I look at the games and try and pick some of the marquee matchups, uh, I think there's a little bit of wiggle room to go under the total in App State and Georgia Southern. This will be a game that goes a long way in defining who ultimately emerges atop the Sun Belt. Uh, App State trying to deal with life after a program-changing running back in Jalen Moore, who had an injury two weeks ago. So they look a little bit different, but a fun watch for folks that haven't seen either of those teams. Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, the underdog has fared extremely well in this rivalry. And surprisingly enough, even with extra time to prepare, Virginia Tech hasn't done what you think they would uh, against this Georgia Tech option. So I would lean towards the Ramblin' Rack. Uh, And a game you can see on Fox Sports 1, like you said, probably the best one of the night. I think the underdog has quite a bit of value here in Baylor, plus 13.5, plus 14, depending on where you shop right now. West Virginia exposed against a physical opponent in Iowa State. I just don't trust the Mountaineers at this point. Will Greer has really struggled. Dana Holgerson has called him out. West Virginia may win, but this team isn't capable of being a conference opponent by multiple scores.
1: We've got, uh, by the way, our guy Petros Papadakis. A lot of you will listen to him on 570 AM in L.A. calling that game tonight. Obviously, he's on with us every Tuesday. What about the slate in college football in general? The biggest game, I think, by far, Georgia-Florida. How do you see this one?
4: For sure. And we're in a little bit of disagreement here on this game. I'm not sure who wins the football game. Uh, We have seen professional money come in on the Gators taking the number from seven to six and a half. I think we could see more fireworks in Jacksonville than the over-under suggests at 52 Both of these defenses, in my opinion, have shown a little bit of frailty against opposing ground attacks. Georgia, they were ill-equipped to handle LSU, coming with pace and tempo with Kirby Smart, calling out his players for a lack of conditioning more than anything else. That won't be lost on Dan Mullen, and I think this Gators offense, as long as they can keep Felipe Franks upright, has potential to hit a few big plays. I will give you an interesting SEC nugget, though, Clay. Spoke to Dave Mason from BetOnline.ag in the last two weeks, He said that the number one game the public has bet two weeks ago was Central Florida laying the four and a half five against Memphis. They didn't cover. Last weekend, the public couldn't get enough of NC State as a 17-point dog. They, of course, were blown out by Clemson. The number one game this weekend getting public attention is, of course, Texas A&M plus two on the road against Mississippi State buyer beware this could be a bounce back scenario for the mississippi state offense that couldn't throw a forward pass in their resounding loss against lsu last weekend
1: i already bet a and m and i have the under so i'm on the public side there uh, much to your enjoyment well, i'm sure Well, the
4: under the under is a very sharp side as well those 45 and a half have disappeared i think if mississippi state wins the game has to stay under the total so the under i have no problem with i'd be a little leery though of uh, running to the window with an aggie's ticket
1: do you buy iowa on the road at Penn State I mean the Big Ten West there are four teams that could end up winning you got Northwestern you got Purdue you got Iowa and you've got uh, who else is out there in the mix Wisconsin obviously who uh what kind of Iowa team are we going to see they're six and one nobody talks about them they're right around 18th Penn State nearly a touchdown favorite what happens here
4: for me, this is a game, and it's going to sound a little counterintuitive, that I think Iowa would be the right side if oddsmakers made Penn State a four-point favorite here. But as the number ticks toward seven, it almost looks too easy to try and back the dog here catching all those points. When we look at Iowa's most three recent results – they have a resounding win against Minnesota where they hung 48 points on the Gophers on the road. They followed that up with a big win against Indiana in Bloomington. Nathan Stanley throws for six touchdown passes. And last weekend, aided by the weather, they clamped down to Maryland and win that game 23-0. Whereas Penn State, over their last three, they've lost two out of those three contests. They didn't look great moving the football. Uh, consistently against Indiana and I have some major question marks about Trace McSorley and the step back he's taken without Joe Moorhead there as an offensive coordinator I'd lean ever so slightly towards Iowa because I think they can dominate the trenches and be competitive plus the seven but it's not a game I love I'm going to definitely be curious to watch it though.
1: Last question I need you to be quick here too how surprised were you that odds came out on Urban Meyer potentially stepping down and that Matt Campbell at Iowa State was such a prohibitive favorite to be theoretically the next Ohio State coach?
4: I think it just speaks to everybody trying to clamor for more odds content and a story breaks. Whoever talks about Urban maybe stepping down. Matt Campbell, though, makes a ton of sense. He's got a lot of ties to that area. Coach at Toledo was at Mount Union. I think he makes an excellent choice to be the heir apparent should we not see Urban on the sidelines in Columbus after this season. Oh,
0: oh, oh,